Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Mary Poppins Returns. I honestly can't remember why we kept most of this stuff to begin with. Don't you remember that kite? We used to love flying that with mother and father. Those days are long behind me. That's why I live and breathe. Who came back? You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. What brings you here after all this time? Same thing that brought me the first time. I've come to look after the bank's children. Us? Oh, yes, you too. We're about to lose our home. Everything's fallen to pieces since your mother. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. It's a good thing you come along when you did, Mary Poppins. How'd you do that? Do what? So you've been off filling the children's heads with stuff and nonsense. You've forgotten what it's like to be a child. Everything is possible. Even the impossible. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Mary Poppins Returns, and the story is as follows. The mysterious Mary Poppins returns to Depression-era London to visit Jane and her brother Michael, now a father of three, and helps them rediscover the joy they knew as children. The film is starring Emily Blunt, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Ben Whishaw, Emily Mortimer, Julie Walters, Dick Van Dyke, Angela Lansbury, Colin Firth, and Meryl Streep. It is directed by Rob Marshall and written by David McGee. Joining me for this review, I have Michael Schwartz. The Mary Poppins connoisseur is in the house to trip a little light fantastic. Ryan C. Showers. The spoonful of sugar and and shade of next best picture. (laughs) And Josh Parham. I'm mostly here for Ben Wishaw. All right, everyone. So we began 2018 with a film starring Ben Whishaw set in London. We are ending 2018 with a film starring Ben Whishaw set in London. And they (laughs) each feature a Marmalade reference. And they both were to feature Colin Firth at one point. Colin Firth was the the original voice of Paddington. Mm -hmm. So maybe there is a silver lining here in terms of ending uh, 2018 and beginning it on a positive note. But Mary Poppins Returns is a film that is a sequel to the original Mary Poppins film released in, what is it, 1960, help me out here, Michael, 1963? 1964. It is celebrating its 55th anniversary next year. That's insane. And here we are with a sequel. A sequel. I don't know what took them so long, but here we are. With that uh, said, though, you know, this is a film that in many ways mirrors the original so much so. And it kind of has to because of the huge gap between films in that you don't really have to have seen the original in order to, I think, appreciate Mary Poppins Returns. But if you have, it still works as a sequel in its own right. What did the Next Best Picture team think about it, though? What do we think about Rob Marshall's direction, the performances, everything that goes into making this film what it is? We're about to find out. You may already have an idea of what Michael Schwartz thinks about it, but I'm going to let him tell you guys anyway. Michael, what did you think of Mary Poppins Returns? 
So with Mary Poppins Returns, you started off by telling us that this was sort of a sequel, sort of a standalone film. And what it reminded me a lot of was Star Wars The Force Awakens, Mm. in that you have a film that, yes, it's a sequel, but it also stands on its own by taking, you know, the general outline of the original Star Wars film and, you know, keeping the plot beats, but maybe putting in some new details, almost like a Mad Libs of sort. So for audience watching it, you're going to have some who look at this and say, oh, this isn't nearly as good as the original. Why can't I just watch that instead? But then you're going to have others who are just thoroughly charmed. They love what the sequel is doing, how it takes the outline and adds a new twist to it. I was one of those. You know, the original Mary Poppins is in my top five films, top five favorite films of all time. While I'm not putting Mary Poppins Returns in that top five, I will say this is what I would consider for me to be an instant classic. One film I will consider to revisit year after year and a new film in like the canon of my favorites. I fell head over heels for this. To the surprise of literally no one, I saw this film over the Thanksgiving holiday. Michael, I called him right away as soon as I was done watching it because uh, I knew he was anxious to know, you know, did it live up to the hype? Is it as good as everything, uh, you know, it was made out to be? And I assured Michael, I told him flat out, I was like, Michael, it will probably not only be your favorite film of the year, it might even be your favorite film of the decade for all I this know. This was the best movie I saw in years, hands down. Even more than La La Land? Even more than La La Land. Wow. Okay, so take that with a spoonful of sugar, everybody. Different movies, though, but in just terms of pure joy and entertainment, this is it. This is it for me. Well, let's see if the rest of the Next Best Picture team falls in line here with Michael. Let's throw it over now to Josh Parham. Josh, what did you think of Mary Poppins Returns? Well, first of all, I just want to say, Michael, I'm so happy that you love this movie. We all probably knew that you were going to like it a lot, and I'm very happy for you. Uh, having said that, I did not have nearly as enthusiastic a reaction to this movie as, as Michael did. I will say that I don't think it's bad. I think it is a very well-made film You know, from a technical perspective. It's very well put together, and the music to it is very nice to listen to. Many of the performances are really good and engaging. But I think the ultimate problem that I had while I was watching this movie is I did not really find this story to be that interesting. And to me, it felt like a lot of this movie was kind of stretching itself out to fill up its, you know, uh, over two hour runtime. And I never really felt like it justified it that much to me. And even sequences that I was watching that I found to be impressive, I sort of felt like we weren't really getting that much from it. And for me, there were many of those sequences that just started building up on each other. And it was kind of frustrating me from a narrative perspective. So ultimately there's a lot of stuff to appreciate in this film for sure, but none of it really came together in a wholly satisfying way for me. So I ended up feeling a little bit frustrated as I was watching the movie and couldn't really give myself over to it in the way that I think it has for a lot of other people. I would say that's fair, Just. It's it's really respectable and fair assessment of this movie. And one thing I felt while watching it was that this one wasn't so much a movie per se, but rather a filmed Broadway show with great effects. And I think when you're watching something like this on Broadway with all these big spectacles and, you know, big flashy musical numbers, you're more willing to forgive the lack of a narrative throughout, a through line. So to me, says like someone who's really into Broadway and the big spectacle of it, it felt like me being in a theater watching a show rather than a movie on a screen. Mm -hmm. And I can totally understand that, you know, there are moments in this movie that I do think are really well executed. And yeah, if this was in a theater, I could see myself maybe being won over by it a little bit more, but on the screen, no matter how impressive it got for me, it just really kind of felt like there was this point where I was just struggling to find out where the, kind of through line of the story was going and not finding it was kind of frustrating for me. So I I have some uh, comments to definitely make on that part of it for sure. Uh, But let's first uh, touch on uh, Ryan here, see what he ultimately thought. Ryan, where where do you fall uh, in these different, uh, you know, reactions to Mary Poppins Returns? I enjoyed it, not to the extent of Michael, but um, I do echo Josh's concerns about the writing. I thought the, the screenplay wasn't it didn't hold up um to the hype that the film 
um, garnered after it was first screened. Like the internet went wild. Like it made it sound like this Mary Poppins Returns was like on a Chicago type of a level in terms of quality. And I don't think it is. I think it's closer to Into the Woods in its in its quality. Um, if we're comparing Rob Marshall musicals, um, I, I really I didn't think the writing was strong at all. In fact, like the the musical numbers are so grand and wonderful and easily the best part because they emphasize the film's strongest element, which is being um, technically savvy. Um, but I, I couldn't really get on board with it as a movie entirely. I mean, I um, I think the biggest problem for me is th- the reason why I can't fully embrace this as one of the best movies of the year is that I think it I think Marshall really struggles with the, with the screenplay. Um, especially, and at, at times, especially, he really leans into the to the worst parts of the family children's genre. And I don't think that it transcends that genre the way that something like Paddington 2 did, where it did, you know, it checked all the boxes off and was immaculate and perfect. I don't think Mary Poppins is that. And I, I, um, so yeah, that's, that's where I stand. I thought Emily Blunt was great. And in, in some parts of the film, I think she's even better uh, than Julie Andrews and her characterization. Julie Andrews is still the best, of course, but um, Emily Blunt brings it. I don't know if I, I wouldn't put her in my best actress five or even 10. Um, I think that her screen time isn't what, um, what it's cracked up to be, but um, overall I'm positive on the film. I enjoyed it, but I don't think that it, it's a grand masterpiece. I think it's, a good family movie yeah that should be nominated at the golden globes but that should be it like it's like into the woods for me interesting now let me ask you this question ryan chicago nine into the woods mary poppins returns the rob marshall directed musicals the four of them so i love nine i would actually rank them chicago nine mary poppins into the woods okay all right i'm just, I'm just curious uh you know same question michael uh i love them all i would go Chicago, Mary Poppins Returns, Nine Into the Woods. Uh, Josh Parr. Um, the only one of those movies that I really like is Chicago, and the rest of them are kind of equal footing at the bottom for me. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna just kind of jump on this too with Mary Poppins Returns and saying that I definitely think it's a good movie for sure. I don't think it's a great movie. Um, I it's it's actually one of the best films I've seen this year, but it doesn't make my personal uh, top 10. And the reasons why is because of the exact same reasons that I actually said on our uh, recent throwback review of the original Mary Poppins, which is that the film is definitely a little overlong. It's not two and a half hours like the original film was, thank God. Well, it's only 10 minutes shorter than the original. Still, though, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're creeping up on that territory, at least, you know, Um the, the movie, though, you know, in the same exact vein, because, Michael, to your point, just like The Force Awakens was mirroring A New Hope in so many different ways, um, I feel like this movie, beat for beat, moment for moment, uh, follows the original film in so many ways that it actually ends up sharing the same issues that I had with the original film, too. And that is that I do feel that the story is very, very, very extremely light, not in terms of its tone, but in terms of just what it has to say. I feel like and I feel like what it does have to say, even though it is a positive message um, and it is sending out a a message of uh, optimism and positivity and overcoming uh, duress and stress and so on and so forth in one's daily life and to look at things from a different perspective. um, I just feel that that's very like it's too digestible for me. Um, I, I, I like it when my storytelling has a little bit more complexity to it. I will say this though. One thing I really did like about the movie and I thought was a very nice uh, screenwriting cue was this idea of nostalgia and turning back the handles of time, which literally happens in this movie. Literally, <laughs> they turn back time. Alert. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just saying, I, like, I, I actually did think that was actually kind of clever. Um, but there were a lot of times during the musical numbers, just like in the original, where I kind of just got this feeling of, I know what it is you're trying to say because it's so simple and it's so blatant and it's clearly out there what this movie wants me to get from it that we're still doing these musical numbers and stuff. And to be fair, the musical numbers are good. I don't think they're memorable in the sense of I actually remember the songs, although there are like maybe two 
that very much stand out. I'd say the sequences themselves on a visual aesthetic level uh, definitely stand out. But the songs themselves didn't really click for me in the same way that other uh, musicals have uh, over the last couple of years. I should say I've probably listened to the soundtrack two dozen times since seeing it just on Wednesday. Yeah, like for me, I'd say uh, Triple O Light Fantastic is the only one that I still can kind of remember and hum in my head, having only listened to it once, where everything else I they all kind of just started to blend in with one another because it just goes from song A to song B to song C and we're still delivering the same message that we've been delivering throughout this two hour plus movie. Uh, It it just all kind of started to, you know, like it it didn't, nothing felt distinguishable after, after a while. I think that's all going to be a matter of personal taste between how you feel about the songs and the depthness within the themes and the story because you know you're gonna have people like you who go to movies to find something deep and meaningful and other people like me who just want to go for entertaining fun and spectacle so you know and as again as a big broadway fan fan of mark shaman and this uh, the style of music it's all going to depend on what you bring to the table here i will admit that there is a broadway style to the way that these sequences are choreographed, presented, especially in Triple O Light Fantastic yeah. with well, the, they all come from the ensemble. Theater. Rob Marshall and his partner John DeLuca are choreographers from the theater. Paul Gemignani, the uh, composer who works with Stephen Sondheim quite often, he did the compositions for this film. Uh, Mark Platt, you know, who did Wicked, uh, produced La La Land, film and theater producer. He's the producer of this. You have all these people coming over from the theater to do this film. And usually when you have a movie musical, it's people from like the Los Angeles theater scene, which I mean, let's be honest, is no New York. So having the New York crowd come over to do this movie really felt like watching a big grand musical on a movie screen. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not disputing that at all. I I just, like I said, I I definitely think that this is a movie that functions maybe a little bit more for uh, children, but in a throwback old school sort of way because, you know, children, I don't know, have an appreciation for Broadway or even have an appreciation today for the original Mary Poppins. But I feel like what Mary Poppins Returns is trying to do is be this generation's Mary Poppins so that kids that maybe don't want to watch a film that's 55 years old, they they, they will have this one. And for adults, I, I definitely think it is enjoyable. And I definitely think that there are those who will walk away from it saying, Oh man, wasn't that just delightful? And oh man, I feel so great about life, and you know, et cetera, the et cetera. The crowd will definitely feel that way. I'm already seeing those reactions of people who are really into that scene, and they go to this, and they go, "I feel like I just attended an evening at a show." But I, but I don't know if I would consider it to be high art. I don't think it is, and I actually, I think you were comparing it to the original, Matt. Um, I, I think that the writing and the directing, both of which were nominated back in the day. I think the the original had stronger writing and directing, and it wasn't so. It felt like a big epic grand movie, where like kind of like the Wizard of Oz, as opposed well, to well for its time, it was revolutionary. That's for sure. And I think that's part of why why the original is such it, it pales. Um, and the the original, uh, the sequel pales to the original. Um, I didn't think that the directing and writing, especially the writing, it, they weren't strong, and it was very children focused, and it didn't really care that it was. That it seemed like Marshall didn't care that he was zeroing in on the genre and not expanding it. Well, like, like the, that's how I read it. Well, like the tone of everything, like the way people speak, the comedic beats, the like uh, you know, it, it, to me, um, it has that same level of appeal that something like a charming family film like Paddington Two, like we said earlier, kind of has. In that it, it's supposed to. It's a movie that very clearly knows what it is. And I I, I have to commend the movie for embracing that wholeheartedly. You know, I actually don't have any issues at all with the way Rob Marshall uh, presented this film aesthetically, visually, um, the sequences and how they're choreographed and played out, the performances by the cast. I think everybody does exactly what it is they're supposed to do, even though it is hammy and it is um, the kind of performance that... Like Colin Firth as like this, you know, nasty bank manager. It, it's so like it, it's not a performance that I would say is a great performance that I would measure up with any of the best I've seen this year. And I also, by extension, have to say that about Emily Blunt as well, even though everybody is doing exactly what it is that they're supposed to do for this genre. Do you need a hug? 
No, that's not what I'm, no, that's not what no. I'm saying. They are do everybody is doing what they are supposed to do, but it's not what you would say or consider to be a masterclass in achievement. Like, acting, yeah, exactly. Type and you know, you have to look at it from two different standards. This is not, you know, Schindler's List. This is not, you know, Rashomon. You know, you have to look at what something is and you can't compare it to like the overall standard. No, 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 and, I, and, I, and I'm not, and I'm not. What I, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm. Trust me, I'm not making that kind of comparison. What I am trying to say, though, is that if if I take this for what it is, um, what it is is something that I feel like is more um, applied to a, a child's mindset for watching uh, a piece of entertainment. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with children's entertainment, but I think that almost diminishes what this is because it almost says that it's like only for this type of audience when I think well, it really has broad appeal beyond just that. But, and I guess I, I don't mean to like, like de- degrade the children's genre. I'm just saying like, I think Paddington 2 is a perfect movie. Like it, it transcends the genre. It, it's whereas Mary Poppins, I don't think it does. I think it just leans into it. And and I think the only reason why I say this too, and Ryan, I, I think you would agree with me on this and maybe Josh, you too, I'm not sure, but just, based on what everyone has said so far, I think we all feel this way just because the screenplay itself, it just doesn't have, it just, it, it, to me, it just doesn't have layers. The closest it comes to having layers is uh, Ben Wishaw's character in how he's dealing uh, with the uh, recent passing of his wife and the kind of man that he's trying to be for his children and for the rest of his family. And I definitely think that there is more there that could have been uncovered a little bit more to give him both a little bit more uh, of a of a role in this film because I you know it's it's interesting it, to me it's an ensemble film and I do think that everybody uh, plays their role effectively exactly how they're supposed to but I almost I I I I almost wanted uh, that storyline of this struggling, uh, financially struggling father who's trying to be the best person he possibly can be for his children, but still is coping internally with uh, the passing of his wife. I I just found that story to be very moving, especially when he has his moment in the attic and he sings that song. Michael, what's the name of the song? A Conversation. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like all that I thought was like really great. And I thought that it was going to provide this movie with the level of depth that I was searching for to strike a more emotionally resonant chord but I don't feel like the film ever goes there because it gets sidetracked with these colorful musical numbers with the animation sequences. And, it, and, it, and the story just loses its focus until the third act. But that's what it is. It's not meant to be Ben Wishall moping around for two hours. It's- I'm not saying it had to be. I'm saying where where's the thorough line in the middle half of this movie to connect the third and first act? They have that. It's where the children sing to him. And which song, and which song was that? It's the reprise of where the, uh, the place where, where the, the lost things go. go. That, that that was sad that was a that was a good scene um you know and i get i get everything that matt's saying i get everything that michael's saying i think that there's a huge divide in this movie between the the financial storyline and the mary poppins children's storyline like it seems like they're two different movies in a lot of in, in a sense um and like the scenes in the water the scenes in the porcelain bowl and a triple little light fantastic and like the meryl streep scene like the, the musical numbers are just so like outside like and they're so much better than the family drama i i feel like like that's also how the first film played out too because that film is about mr banks and how he detaches himself from his family dedicates himself to staying at the fidelity fiduciary bank and mary poppins comes in to turn everything around for the family there and this you have another bank storyline it's not about the father being at the bank but it's about the bank you know trying to take away the house so it's again about her coming back to stop this problem going on and through these fun, exciting musical numbers and trips and all, all this stuff that goes on in the middle, you have this through line, but the songs just add to the overall part of that story. Josh, what, what Josh, what about you? Do, do you feel that the film loses uh, focus or do you, or do you sense that emotional through line uh, through those songs in the second, uh, in like the second act of the film? Yeah, I was actually going to mention that. Well, first of all, uh, I'm not going to argue against having more Ben Wishaw in a movie. So th- that's just a fact <laughs> for me. Right <laughs> he was really great. I, I loved his performance, Josh. Yeah, I, I did too. Yeah, I have to say. He's actually my favorite performance in the movie, but I'm incredibly biased about that. Um, but I would also say that speaking to that divide that we, that some of us are picking up on in terms of the emotional through line of this story, 
I think the reason that it feels even more greater is because in those musical numbers, which are very well choreographed and designed, and they're actually some of my favorite sequences in the, sequences in the film, the problem that I have is that I don't feel like there's that emotional payoff from these sequences. You know, there's two really big moments in the movie that are, are about that porcelain bowl that belongs to the mother, where it's inside the bowl in this world, and then we go to the Meryl Streep scene. And then I feel like we don't ever talk about it again after that. And there's two big numbers, you know, that take up 20, 30 minutes of this movie. And I feel like we then don't resolve anything from it. And that is sort of going to what I feel is kind of frustrating about parts of this movie is that you get these moments of big extravagance that are really well executed and are fun to watch. But when they're done and over with, I'm kind of sitting there thinking, okay, well, what was the point of that? Like, we just spent all this time listening to Meryl Streep and her kooky accent in this weird, bizarre number, which is very fun, but what did we accomplish here? And I think a lot of the sequences are sort of like that, and that is felt even more so when you contrast it to when the movie does get really emotional and grounded with kind of the family life, and I think that is where you kind of really want to see more of that Maybe it wouldn't have felt that way if more emotional through line was put into those musical numbers. I think that would have helped to solve that issue that some of us are feeling with the film. Fair, but you know, just to play devil's advocate there, to go back to the original film, you have this sequence where Uncle Albert is essentially the cousin Topsy of this film. And they go to his house and they sing, I love to laugh, and they're all having a tea party on the ceiling. Yeah. And it's like, if you're going to bring out that same argument for Mary Poppins Returns, how does that fit into the original Mary Poppins as a criticism? Or is it just the same thing? And, you know, uh, it is the same thing. I brought it up on our review. <laughs> like, I, 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 it's so funny to me, like how the exact same issues I had with the original film um, are here as well. I mean, and the scenes, you know, to your point, you just made uh, one example of how those two scenes are clearly designed to be like bookends for each other with these like two films and same thing with um the third act when they go to the bank and they have the final confrontation with like colin uh colin Firth's character and you get the reveal of dick van dyke which was th that was fantastic Playing that was a great moment of his character from the original he played mr dawes senior in the original film now he's mr dawes jr i loved it I, I have to say, like, I really, really genuinely enjoyed that moment. Uh, but, it, but it reminds me of the original in, you know, when he says supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and he's laughing. And that's also a very uplifting moment um, amidst what was supposed to be a very somber uh, scene. And it kind of pulls us then into the final number and everything is great. You know, let's go fly a kite. There's nowhere to go but up. The films are direct mirrors of each other. Yeah, and that for me is what the heart of the movie is. This is a movie about, you know learning to find that inner child of yours and look past all the doom and gloom in the world and just learn to, you know, learn that there's always light here and everyone could, you know, find some reason to be happy and, you know, express that inner child of theirs. There's no reason to just, you know, go around life and mope all the time. I, I totally, like I said, I totally get that. Um, I feel that the film could have expressed that exact same message with a little bit more uh, focus. Mm -hmm. um, That's it. And so I, I feel like I have tended to be a little negative about the film. And I just want to say, I really did enjoy a lot of, a lot about the film. Like, you know, the favorite is my, is my favorite movie of the year, but the costume design in this film tops that for me. Like I adored the costumes. I, you know, the Michael, what's the scene? What's the song where they're in the bowl and they're, um, it's a big, where she wears the Catherine Zeta Jones wig. Uh, there, there are two of them versus the Royal Dalton musical. And then a cover is not the book. A cover is not the book is a showstopper. Yeah. Those are, he gets the Catherine Zeta Jones Chicago wig. Yeah. Damn. That that was that I gotta say, I was very impressed by that sequence. They had to Both. take Disney animators and bring them out of retirement in order to complete that sequence. That was the first sequence that they filmed for the entire movie, actually. They did that before anything else because they had to get the performances down so that the Disney animators could then work around it. Yeah. Well, that's the best uh, for me, the, that 20 minutes of the movie is is by far the best in terms of production, costumes performances 
singing, visual effects. I loved it. And I actually liked the the water scene. I know that there's... I, I love it. Can, can you imagine that? I know some people said it looked sort of cheesy. But it looked cheesy it to from, me. I'm sorry. Well, and you saw it in a theater. You know, some people said yeah. it looked cheesy watching it on a screen, or I thought it looked pitch perfect seeing it on screen. Josh, what did you think of that? Um, I think that that is definitely the place where some of the CG work is a little spotty, but I would agree that I, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't have as much of an issue with it as I know some other people have. Um, I think when you compare it to the hand-drawn animation that you see later, you do just have a sort of nostalgic feeling for that. And, you know, a big CGI spectacle, maybe you're not as invested in, but I, I thought it looked perfectly fine the way that they executed it. But I have to say, though, I mean, you know, uh, cover is not a book or, yeah, cover is not a book is, um, I think, the showstopper uh, piece of the film. And I would say that the second half of the movie, uh, the showstopper piece is trip, Triple Little Light Fantastic because of I the... I would say that. And for me, the finale, nowhere to go but up. Well, I, I, I you know, it's so funny, too, because like the like the very title of that, there's nowhere to go but up, right? Like the, like the positivity and the optimism in a message such as that, and the, with the joyful glee that everyone sings it in that final act, they have the balloons, they're flying through the sky. I mean, it, I, I can totally understand why anyone would love that song just for the feeling that it, it, it conjures up in people. I, I totally understand that. Totally. I almost cried twice in that movie up until that scene, but it was that scene that just did me in. And I was like, you know, just I just lost it during Nowhere to Go But Up. Mm. What about you, Ryan? Uh, your favorite uh, musical number in this a cover is not the book, you would say? Um, 100%. Yep. What, what about you, Josh? I would actually say that my favorite probably probably was um, was it Turning Turtle? Is that the Meryl Streep one? Yes, Turning Turtle. I I don't know. I just had a lot of fun with that sequence. I thought it was. She really is giving well. it her all there. And maybe that's the other thing is that sometimes you know I I, I know you are a very big Meryl Streep fan, Michael, and <laughs> she's really great. But you know I don't think that she could be altogether perfect sometimes. But I just found her energy and just having a lot of fun in that moment was really engaging to me. And I, that probably was my favorite part of the film, even though I didn't really feel like it went anywhere from a narrative perspective, just in the moment, it probably was the best time that I had. I, I have to say too, uh, just in regards to the Meryl Streep moment here, cause it's kind of just, it, it begs to be said. I, I definitely believe that there are certain movies with the hundreds that are released, um, I do believe that there are certain movies that we each personally feel were tailor-made for us. And there is just a moment in life where every single element, every star just aligns up perfectly to create something that combines everything we enjoy about movies or even other aspects of entertainment and it rolls it up into one. When you have you know, Michael's one of his favorite films of all time. You have Meryl Streep, who he loves. You have Dick Van Dyke returning for a brief moment. You have Angela Lansbury in this. You have Lin-Manuel Miranda. An overture and exit music. I mean, the the whole thing to me, I genuinely feel that they're like, I, I, I would go to Rob Marshall and I would say, you may not know this person, Michael Schwartz, <laughs> but you literally made... Uh, Michael Schwartz, the movie. But it's not. It's not even. I. I feel like so weird saying like this is a movie for me because I talk to so many other people. Again, you know, big like theater fans who go to see this movie and they feel like it was made for them as well. So there's really an audience out there who it's like a niche that they feel like everything in this movie is like you know as perfect and finally tailored as it could be. Mm -hmm. yeah. By also, the way, speaking well, of the um, animated sequence and a cover is not the book, Royal Dalton Musical. Did you notice who was doing one of the voices there? Uh, in one of the scenes? Uh, Seamus the dog, who was played by Chris O'Dell. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. I recognize that accent right away. I didn't know that. Um, one last thing, uh, Emily Blunt's song, um, Where the Lost Things Go, I did, I, I, I thought that was very poignant, too, when she sings to the children. Um, I feel like we haven't talked about her enough, actually. I feel like review. we haven't either. Um, she's very, like I said in, in the intro, I, there are times I think that she her characterization is even better than Julie Andrews. Um, I really liked her, but I still, I wouldn't put her in my five or 10. To me, nobody will ever top Julie Andrews. It's my second favorite film performance of all time. So to have someone like Emily Blunt, this well-known commercial actress go in and take on the role of Mary Poppins, you know, you subject yourself to some criticism, potentially you put yourself out there. So I give her so much credit and will say, 
even if she is not Julie Andrews, she comes as close as humanly possible as anyone can to, you know, fulfilling this role in her shadow. Which I have to ask the question here, Michael. I'm really curious to know what you think of this. Do you think that Emily Blunt is making the performance her own or do you feel that she is copying what Julie Andrews did in the original and just doing oh, it very no, no, well? No, I think she totally makes it her own because you see shades of Mary Poppins here that you do not get in the first movie. And that's nothing against either of the performances. You just get a different version of her here. You I get agree. sort of mm-hmm. a nastier, not nasty, but then, you know, see more of like a wicked side Stern. of her sense of humor here than you do with Julie Andrews. Yeah. Julie Andrews at the end of the original Mary Poppins, you see this brief moment of sadness and emotion that I was talking about on our uh, throwback review, where, you know, I think that's the scene that won her the Academy Award back in 1964. You see this vulnerability at the very end. And you do get a little bit of that from Emily Blunt, but you also get this little bit of an edge with her, too. I just like I feel like she's a great character, but I, she doesn't have an arc. And she doesn't change throughout the movie, so I, I, I actually do find her to be a little uninteresting. Uh, I and would say, I'm, honestly, it's my favorite performance I've seen in a movie since Blanchett and Blue Jasmine. Well, and, like, can, can we just take a minute, like, l- listen to this list. Rosamund Pike, Lady Gaga, Tony Collette, Ma- Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, um, Olivia Coleman, um, Galizia Aparicio, um, Sorcia Ronan, Melissa McCarthy, Glenn Close, and Nicole Kidman. Like, I just, I can't, it's hard for me to swallow the fact that Emily Blunt is taking up a spot in Best Actress when all these other women have different, uh, fresher characters that are really lead characters. And I, you know, Will, Will Mavity has said he doesn't really think that she's a lead in this. And I am, I kind of agree with that. I definitely agree with that. She is supporting 100%. No, it's it's as much as the original one. That's like saying Julie Andrews is supporting in Mary Poppins. I mean, it's kind of true there too. But just screen time does not determine, I think, what makes a lead or a supporting performance. It's about the context that the character has. Yeah, I understand. There's no movie without her. The movie is about how Mary Poppins comes to help a family. I think that's less true here and than it is in the original. The original, I think that is exactly what it is. I don't think her coming is as important as uh, here. Like, uh, besides turning, uh, never mind. Besides the thing that she does at the end with the clock, I don't think that she, her presence makes or breaks the children in the way that it does the first one. But it's not just the clock. It's also how she changes these kids' outlook and allows them to you know, live on in the memory of their mother and carry on, have this place where you know they're able to move past this horrible tragedy that struck the family. That's that's all her doing. Yeah, but I wouldn't even... I, I. It's tough, though, because she doesn't have her own story. Her story is linked to the children. But we're not supposed to know her story. That would make the character so much less interesting to know where she came from and everything that's going on in her mind. It's a mystery of her that makes you really, at least for me, fall in love with her. See, now I feel the exact opposite. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so I don't weird. want to know anything about where she comes from, what she's doing. I don't want to know anything... And, Aside from Mary Poppins' time on Cherry Tree Lane. And Michael, I kind of agree with you more than I agree with Matt on this specific issue. But my problem is she has no – she's not involved really in the arc of the of the, of the the film. She doesn't come in for the first 30 minutes and then she, she's pretty minutes. prominent. Okay, she's a, she's 20 minutes. She's in the first 15. 15. I doubt that. So then she's in the prominent for like maybe an hour. But then at the, the last half hour, she's a background character, literally. Yeah. Well, yeah, because at that point, uh, Ben Whishaw has to take over in the third act, just like uh, Mr. Banks does in the in the original film. And you have to complete that arc. Otherwise, you really would have a disaster of a movie on your hands if you didn't actually have that have any payoff whatsoever. Um, but at that point, it's kind of like her work is done and she's kind of just sitting back to let them all figure it out on their own now, knowing what she's passed on to them. I, I get it. I understand it. I still maintain that she is supporting. <laughs> well, and I think I think what ultimately I don't know if I would necessarily go with an argument that she's supporting, but I think when we're talking about that sort of lack of an arc that the Mary Poppins character has, I think that's what we're picking up on. And not that we need to have, you know, her whole backstory about where she came from, but to kind of have more investment in what her stakes are within the story is what I think I'm kind of missing from that character. And because of that, it makes it seem like she's a little, a little more inconsequential than I think it's meant to be. And I I think that Emily Blunt is good in the film. I don't think I would ever call it something to be spectacular. Like she's 
giving a perfectly fine performance, but I think there's an issue with the way that that character is presented and probably is presented in the original film too, that because it feels so much like a background character, like you said, at times that prevents you from really getting won over by you feeling like you are, you are in her story and that is kind of a lacking element to the story overall. I've heard everything over the years from Mary Poppins is an alien who comes from outer space to Mary Poppins is a bad mother who abandoned her family and now wants to make good with these children. You know, I've heard so many different theories about who she is, where she comes from, why she's here, that I think that just all takes away from what we want to believe about her. The great thing about this character is you can believe whatever you want to believe and no one will confirm or deny. And I like that enigma aspect of her too, Michael. I do. I'm just saying I... I, I didn't think she was as prominent. Like I was watching, I finished the film and I was like, wait, Emily Blunt hasn't been around very often, has she? Like, again, just like Julie Andrews in the original, she does leave. And if you're going to say that she's supporting in this, then also apply it to the original. Like, you know, be consistent with it because they're pretty much equal. Okay. Uh, with that said, final thoughts, grades out of 10 and Oscar potential. Uh, let's start off with Josh. Final thoughts on Mary Poppins Returns. Um, well, my final thoughts are that it is a decent movie. Like I said before, the production value to the film is, I think, exceptional. The sets and costumes are, are all great. The music, I do think, is pretty good. Uh, the performances overall, I did enjoy. Um, I did, you know, I'm not going to say that they're best of the year from anybody, but for servicing the story uh, and the movie that they were in, I thought it was perfectly good. But ultimately, I just found myself kind of hitting my head against the wall with this story. And I just never found the narrative through line to be that engaging. And because of it, it felt kind of empty to me. And when I'm watching an empty movie, I just really tune out of it, no matter how impressive many of the sequences are in the film, which they are. I could just never find myself being won over by it, by the way that the narrative was going. So because of that. Um, my grade has got to be a 6 out of 10. Uh, it's not bad, but ultimately it's not anything that I can really say that I enjoyed to the point where I can recommend it because it just really didn't work that way for me. Uh, okay. And I know. think that's very, very fair of you, Josh. I've been reading some really strange reviews in the last couple of days. I saw one that gave it one star and said oh, it was no, a no. full-on mitigated disaster. And I think that is just so searching for attention. You know, you know, you prove right here that you could, you know, not fully be invested in it, but still appreciate the craft on display and other factors. And I think you just are the gold standard for giving a, you know, mixed review here. So much appreciated. I mean, you know, in, in a year that gives us life itself, mile 22, happy time murders, the predator. like how, how does Mary Poppins returns get one star? People looking for clickbait headlines. Well, Let's see what this headline sounds like. Brian, final thoughts, great out of 10. Um, I'm at a seven out of 10. Um, I liked it a lot. I enjoyed it. Um, I, Like I said, I think it's a lot closer to Into the Woods than it is to Chicago, if you're looking at Rob Marshall musicals. Um, so yeah, I'll just leave it at that. And since we're going to go nowhere but up, might as well keep it in sequence here. Um, I give it an eight out of 10. And I do have some misgivings with the film, but I cannot deny the way that it made me feel when it was over. And I did think there was some pretty clever stuff in there. I just do think that there are times where it is a tad bit unfocused. And it's not, like I said, it's just not something that for me personally, when I watch a, a film, I'm looking for, I'm really looking for a piece of art. Like something with multiple layers, themes, something that I can revisit over the years, maybe get something different out of it. This is something that, I feel like I, I could revisit at a time in great distress, actually, to tell you the truth. And I do feel like this is one of those movies that would pick my soul right up. And that has its own quality to it that I do appreciate. And I'm glad that this film exists for that reason. And for, for that, I, I will give it a very positive review of an 8 out of 10 with some misgivings here. And... Michael, nowhere to go but up. So you say nowhere to go, nowhere to go but up. But for me, it's uh, nowhere else to go here. I'm a rare and perfect ten for this movie, to the surprise of absolutely no one. <laughs> <laughs> My jaw is on the floor. <laughs> and now we come to uh, Oscar potential. This, this this should be an interesting conversation here. Yes. Uh, because 
This film has definitely been considered for a lot of different rewards on the website itself right now. We have it listed for Oscar prospects, okay? These are all things that it could possibly contend for. Uh, best picture, best director, best actress, best costume design, best film editing, best original score, best original song, production design, sound editing, sound mixing, and visual effects. There definitely is a uniformity to the idea that it's not going to be a contender for its screenplay but all the texts are on the table, Emily Blunt, picture. But what are we now really feeling, especially now after some of the reviews have indeed dropped and it is not a universally acclaimed film? I say it gets in with nine nominations, which sounds really high, but again, when you it, break it, it does. down, when you break it down in the text, I have it in, you know, let's start over in the tech categories. We have, uh-huh. uh, I don't think it's going to get in editing, but I think it's a possible contender there. But starting with the definites, you have production design, costume design, visual effects, score, song, sound editing, sound mixing. And then the two above the line that I think it takes are best actress. And I think it gets enough passion votes to get in for best picture. So I am almost aligned with you on this. I still maintain that I do not think it gets sound editing. I think the sound editing is really, really flashy in this movie. You have everything from the sound and the porcelain bowl to the Triple O like fantastic. You know, there really is a lot of flashy sound editing going the on water. here. More so than the mixing, I would say. Yeah, but I feel like they I feel like because there's so many people in the academy that don't understand the difference between mixing and that editing. It's the sound branch that picks the nominees. That is true. That, yeah, that's true. But the other thing I would say is that musicals tend to only get nominated for mixing and not editing. Like the, the only time that we've really ever seen that is with La La Land, and that was a 14 nomination leader that we all you know, mostly we're convinced was going to win Best Picture. So I sure, think but at the very- same time, how many opportunities do you have where there's really worthy sound editing in a musical? I think most musicals provide that opportunity. It's just whatever the sound branch wants to do and how much they like the film. And, you know, I don't know if Mary Poppins, to be honest, I think it's going to struggle to get nominated for sound mixing in that category because there's another musical making a play for that. So I don't I just don't think that it's a safe bet really in either sound category. It will be a strong contender, but they might get distracted with the star is born and just throw their votes behind that. Or Bohemian Rhapsody, another film that features yeah, music yeah, and, is, and is a very surprising. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk about it. I, I know. Believe me, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, the other thing, too, I wanted to say, Michael, your nine nomination theory, I, I, I personally believe is the best day that Mary Poppins has. The very Agreed. best day would be 10 with editing. Oh, no, it would be 10 with two songs. Or 11, then, if it could. No, it's not going to get editing. It, it could <laughs> get just... editing. You, you know, the way that these are you know, put together and the way that the film moves, I could not believe oh. it was two hours and 10 minutes that went by. I felt like I was there for half an hour. But, okay, you have three people that disagree. The one person who is, like, over the moon, overpraised for this. I, I'm sorry. I think that we're leaning in the direction of it's not going to get editing. Well, you agree it's at least top 10? Sure. Yes, I would. Okay. I would say anything in the top 10 could happen. Sure. But, um, you know, I don't know. And I honestly, I I see a world where before she got two SAG nominations, I saw a world where Emily Blunt didn't um, missed where she missed. Um, I, it's hard to see that now whenever she has two SAG nominations. She's overdue for her first nomination, too. Like, that's the thing that, that kills me about this. Even when we're talking about her performance in this movie, it's like we're breathing life into the idea that Emily Blunt is once again not even going to get her first Oscar nomination, potentially. And that makes me very sad. She's probably she's probably third. She's probably safer than McCarthy or even close. Um, you know, I, but I still could see a world where she misses. I, I'm not saying it's a, a really good possibility, but it's there. And, you know, picture, you know, you never know. I mean, you I don't know. You need 300 votes to get in. There are 300 number one votes to get I, in. I definitely picture. think there are a lot of people like Michael who will put this at number one. Okay. Well, then I guess it's going to get eight, nine nominations. But I, you see, now I also have a hard time wrapping my mind around that idea, too, yeah. because we're living, and I say this only because I feel like we're living in a world now where we always believe that certain films are going to have a high nomination count and they 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 always seem to miss something somewhere for yep. f- that that we all thought was a given. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like Incep- it's like Inception missing editing, or it's like um, it's like Arrival missing Amy Adams, or it's like you know I can name like all these different examples of a film that should have gotten in somewhere and increased its nomination total count, and it didn't get in and it brought it down. So 
I think it's really hard to predict that kind of scenario. And I think the safest way if you're making your Oscar predictions is just to predict those nine. And I have a feeling it's going to get seven or eight, personally. I just don't know what's going to miss. I think I have it in for seven right now, which to me kind of sounds like a good number for this movie. I mean, what's the uh, Rob Marshall... What's the Rob Marshall track record here? I mean, because Chicago got, what, 13 nominations? Yeah, Chicago got 13. Into the Woods got three. Nine, Nine got, got four. four. Memoirs of a Geisha, like I remember, overperformed and yes, got a lot. Memoirs got six. six. Yeah, yeah like, that's below crazy. the line. Yeah. And it won three of them, so. Mm-hmm. I think First Man is going to be the Memoirs of a Geisha of this year. That makes sense. Agreed. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Okay. I, I yeah. I don't really know if there's much else to add at that point with its Oscar potential. Um, suffice to say, I'll be very, very curious to see what else happens. Like I said, I feel like we're in such a weird year where with this Vice, Bohemian Rhapsody, hey, I, like I feel weird even saying this too, but A Quiet Place, like there there are certain movies that we either assume, didn't assume, we're going to be like Best Picture nominees and contend in other categories and it's like what we thought the race was going to be is clearly not what it's shaping up to be and i don't know which contenders are going to hold on and which ones are going to drop because as of this recording as of today oscar nominations are one month away so (laughs) that's a lot of time for momentum to keep shifting you know and we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens but as of right now i would say mary poppins returns i'm pretty confident i'm like very confident in saying it's going to end up with anywhere between six to nine nominations. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good prediction. Absolutely. So with that said, Michael Schwartz, tell all the good listeners where they can find you on the internet. You can find even more of my Mary Poppins content on Twitter at Mike Movie. Ryan C. Showers. You can find my spoonful of sugar and shade at Ryan C. Showers. And Josh Parham. And you can find me being a continual Ben Wishaw fanatic at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture review of Mary Poppins Returns. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and now newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate any comments that you can leave there for us. It helps for people to discover us. Also, too, if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get our throwback review of Mary Poppins. You can also get our throwback review of Saving Mr. Banks, all tied to Mary Poppins Returns, so you can complete your Mary Poppins Returns trifecta from the Next Best Picture podcast this month. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Oh, and happy holidays, everyone. We shall see you all next time. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.